0: Awesome. You can be seated. Well, good morning. It's beautiful weather today. Amen. Well, I'm excited. It's a great season. And as Ellie said, yes, you are getting an extra mansion in heaven for being at church on a long weekend. Isn't that cool? Amen. Tahoe's not really that good. (laughs) All right, it is. (laughs) Well, we are in a season as a church talking about faith, but thinking about faith and the impact of faith on our life and how it impacts me, I, I decided to dig a little deeper and ask the questions, what does that practically look like? If, I'm in a, if we are in a season of faith at church, but even just practically in my relationship with God, what does and how does faith impact me? What are the consequences? What are the implications? How does it practically unfold in my life? And what should I have faith for? I think these are very important questions that if we don't have answers to, then faith becomes just this idea And we might even find ourselves not actually truly having faith if it's not defined, but we might be just having a fantasy or a wish list of something that we want, but it's not really coming from the Spirit of God. Amen? So I think it's super important to truly understand practically and spiritually how faith impacts my life. And so with that, why don't I pray? So God, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you that it is sharp, Lord, and that any two-edged sword, Lord, we pray, Lord, that your word today impacts us, changes us from the inside out, Lord, so that we can be and do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So last week, we talked about having faith to believe for my true identity in Christ who I am truly created to be. I don't know if you know about this, but your true identity is not what the world says about you. Your true identity is not left at the mercy of nature and nurture or DNA and environment. Who you are is not a result of those things, although it can be, but who you truly are is a result of you placing faith and having faith in Christ that you become the person God's called you to become. I want to be, I think we all want to be, the person that Christ has called me to become. I want to go as far down that road as I can possibly based on having faith in God, in Christ, that that can happen. I don't want to become the opposite of that which is a life like myself that is left to my own selfish desire following my own needs, my own wants, not considerate of others, but maybe sometimes because I don't want that to impact me. I wonder what, what, uh, what is humanly possible for a person if they purely just pursued their own selfish desires. What would they become? What would that person be like? Would they be tolerable? Could you be in their presence? And this is the exact opposite of who and what I don't want to become. I want to be Christ-like. So I know to be Christ-like, it is my faith that accesses the the life that God has for me, who I'm supposed to be. But it's my flesh that pursues after, after what I want to be. This is my will, not God's will. And I thought about that, um, how important it is. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You'll see it up on the screen. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Salvation is powerful. I often think a lot of people question their salvation Am I still right with God? I think you should actually be doing a deeper dive into understanding the power of salvation and God's grace. And I think a lot of you are actually closer to God than you realize. And it's because the enemy has lied to you. And we don't truly have a healthy understanding of what the power of salvation is and in our life. Without Christ and faith in him, I wonder what people could become if the only thing that is determining who we are is nature and nurture, genetic and environment. Imagine what a person could potentially become and how far they could go. It would be horrible to be around a person like that. I wouldn't want to be married to someone who is selfish. Ellie is the opposite of all these things, by the way, just to clarify that right now. So there's no sleeping on the couch, unintentionally. (laughs) Or intentionally. I wouldn't want to be married to, no one wants to be around people that are selfish. Do you like being around someone when the bill comes, that person goes to the restroom? (laughs) Or they take a phone call outside? Does anybody like being around that person? A real Stinge? A real Scrooge McDuck? Does anybody like being around arrogant people? No, you don't. Do you like having a one-way conversation with someone? where they spend the whole time talking about themselves and hopefully they ask you one question about them, about yourself at the end and they don't and you just sit there going, nice, awesome. (laughs) Nobody wants to be around these kind of people. Nobody wants to be around judgmental people. Nobody wants to be around comparative people. Judgmental is if you have a conversation with them and when when you finish talking, they correct you every single time. Ooh, it's frustrating. Or someone who's comparative, you tell them a success or a victory or something awesome that God's done in your life and then they one-up you. They say, oh, that's nice. I like that, that you got a house. I bought two. <laughs> Great. Nobody wants to be, and, and we don't want to be these people. And guess what? It's our selfish desires that creates that identity, but it's our faith in Christ that creates the identity of the people that you are drawn to and you want to be around. People who are compassionate, people who are gracious, people who are kind and are loving, people who spend more time talking about you than they do about themselves. It's attractive, it's magnetic. I don't wanna be around the opposite, I wanna be. So thinking on that thought, What do I need to do in my life so that I can become that person that serves other people instead of sucks the life out of other people? That's not what I want. We live in a world full of people that refuse to be changed by God's love. They intentionally refuse to be changed by God's love. Unfortunately, that's why we have to have a legal system, a prison system, a police system. We have to have all these systems in place because there are people that refuse to be changed by Jesus, that don't want to become Christ-like. And because of that, the reality is, is we live in a fallen, broken world. That's where all this mess comes from. It says in our 2 Corinthians, this is, this is a great verse, 5-7, back to our original, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And this is what we, to recap last week, this means that there is theologically a difference between who you were and whose you are. Who you are, who you were is dead. Jesus Christ died on the cross and who you were was buried. But now we live in this realm of Whose we are. We are now a child of the King. We are now in relationship with Christ. Our spirit is one with Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. Which is a completely new creation. You're a new person. And that's super exciting. You don't have to go back to that old person. You can walk in the fullness of who Christ has called you to be. But what bridges that gap is faith, our faith to believe that when presented a challenge or a mountain that needs to be cast into the sea or requires wisdom to walk around it, when presented a challenge, we either choose to go back to our old self and walk in the flesh or trust, have faith in who Christ says I am. And this is why we love that song. I am who you say I am. Not who I say I am. I don't tell God and write down on a piece of paper, this is my identity. I just don't have the arrogance to do that, to be quite honest. I stand in submission and surrender to the King of Kings. That's by the way, if I can stand in God's presence and he unfolds and tells me exactly who I am. And I tell you what, it's a whole lot better than what the world would say about you, than what family has said about you. Then what a school teacher or a boss or a friend who stabbed you in the back and said something about you that broke your heart. Forget about that. When you know who you are in Christ, it's almost impossible to be offended because you're so secure in what God has said. Amen. This is good news. So we'll never be offended again. Amen. (laughs) No more letters to Pastor Mark (laughs) for his preaching. Amen. I am who you say I am. So, so in thinking, if I was just left, if faith was not an option and I couldn't, there wasn't the hope to become Christ-like, it would be a horrible world. I would be left up to whatever nature and nurture determined. But we decided that faith is one of the keys that can help. But let me add another one, not just nature and nurture, that can actually lead us in a positive way to who we are in Christ or a negative way, which is what we don't want. That's why we need faith. Feelings. Feelings. Now, I'm not going to get touchy-feely here, but feelings is something that can truly confuse us in terms of who our true identity is in Christ as we think through the stuff that's happened during the week, or we think through conversations that we've had, or we think through interactions with family, somebody that broke our heart. And it it brings up and stirs so much emotion, so many feelings. What do I do with that? How do I process that? And, and I believe that without faith, our identity is actually at the mercy of self. And so here are two things about your identity. Our true identity is one spirit with Christ. It's 1 Corinthians six seventeen. it says, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. We are one spirit with Christ. The second thing about our identity is our true identity is completely surrendered to Christ. The old self, rebellious, wants to do its own thing but who you are your true identity in Christ is completely surrendered to God's will it's God whatever it's yes what's the question it's God I'll go anywhere and do anything now you know that you're going through a hard season and walking back to your old self when you start putting conditions on who God's called you to be and you start negotiating with God and saying, well, I'm willing to give you this area of my life, but this part, the relationship part's off limits. Or my finances, they're not yours, but you get the rest. Or my children, or my social life, or where I work, my career. I really want to do this, but God, you can have the other parts. And that's not not what Scripture says. It says that old man has gone, and we die to that. Our true identity is completely and utterly faithful and trusting and surrendered to Christ. Galatians 2, 19, 21. This is good news, by the way. You can, you can smile. <laughs> Galatians 2, 19. This is the message translation. I very rarely will use this translation, but I really liked the way that this put this. It says what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have you uh, have your good opinion and I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. it is not clear is it not clear to you that To go back on that old rule keeping, peer pleasing religion uh, would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. That is just wonderful. That's That's so wonderful. And and I pray you reread this during the week or re-listen to the YouTube message to truly understand that it's not what you do for God, it's what God has done in you so that you go out and do for God. What you do for God is a celebration of what God has done in you, what Christ has done in you. That's your true identity. You're not earning salvation to please God. No, you are celebrating salvation to please God what Christ did. So you don't have a moralistic scales of justice hanging over your head, telling you whether you can connect and pray to God and be close to him. Because it's not based on your morality. It's based on Christ who died to set you free so that you could be in close proximity to him, to have the intimacy with him that you're created to. Now, We talk about God's will, and this is obviously point number two. Our true identity is completely surrendered to Christ. And as a church, I would say um, this is my attempt at trying to theologically understand God's will without um, any specific calling that God assigns to me. I would believe that it would be knowing God. That's so important. You don't know him, big trouble know God. But then in that journey, you'll eventually get to a point where you realize that you're not just about knowing him, but making him known, to make God known, to go into all the world and preach the good news. And then I believe that Jesus Christ established his church and is returning for his church. So know God, make him known, build his church. That is why I am planted in my local church. Because that's what Christ is returning for. That's what he said. That's what he will one day uh, come back for. So that's, that's my place and that's my heart. Know God, make him known, build his church. And then uh, Jesus prayed. He said, bring heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to see whatever's going on up in heaven right now, where there's no tears, there's no death, where there's no sickness, where there's no brokenness, I'm praying and believing for that to miraculously manifest here. That's why God's got me here. And when we talk about God using us, that's what it would look like, bringing heaven to earth. How awesome is that? What I've heard it said, if I was to break all of that down into one sentence to make it not so long and complicated, I would say God's will is to reflect the image of God. To reflect the image of God. You were created to reflect his image. Wonderful. Your flesh can't do that. But having faith in Christ, in your true identity, will 100% do that. Having true faith in him. You can't reflect the image of God without faith. We know you can't reflect. We know you can't please God without faith, but also believe you cannot reflect the image of God without faith. And so faith is such a crucial part. Now let's get back to feelings. Let's add another factor that can either add to or take from our true identity in Christ, and that is feelings. I believe feelings are supposed to be filtered by truth. And by truth I mean Scripture. This is going to be really, really, really relevant to your life as stories start coming into this message here. I believe feelings are supposed to be filtered by truth. And by truth, I mean scripture. That's how we stop unhealthy and ungodly feelings that we have that come from life running rampant in our mind and in our heart to believe things about ourselves that are not true that creates an identity for ourselves. that's not true. That's, right. that's not what God says about you. Because someone said something that you may have worn that hat or carried that backpack for a season in your life. I love it when truth comes in and they take that hat off and they throw it in the fire and they live free again. That's right. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Because that's our true identity. Feelings can be very persuasive though they can be very convincing because life stirs up feelings and I think they're supposed to it's a good thing I talked a little while ago I was wearing my shirt from the Mexico missions trip from last year and on the back it says no God make him known now I wasn't thinking and wasn't conscious of the fact when I went into Safeway wearing that shirt I just was wearing that shirt and didn't even think about it. But as I'm in Safeway, there was this huge, big, muscular, bearded, bald head, tats everywhere uh, looking guy, and he was staring at me. And I thought, oh my gosh, I must have cut this guy off in the parking lot. (laughs) I tend to have a bit of a habit of doing stuff like that. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I (laughs) I do. He's just staring at me, and I'm thinking, what is this guy thinking? Did he think I stole his wallet, or did I cut him off and pick the bananas that he wanted before he could get them? And I'm just, he's just staring at me, and then eventually he he starts walking towards me, and I'm thinking, I'm getting ready to defend myself. Uh, Beckett, get in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) Oscar, get in front of me. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But this guy starts to walk to me, and he walks up, and then he leans right in. And he says, nice shirt, praise Jesus. (laughs) And my feelings lied to me. I felt so lied to by my feelings that had created this posture of defense and and fight or flight spirit. And and it wasn't true. It was a Christian who wanted to celebrate me because I judged the guy based on his appearance. Feelings completely deceived me. And, And instead of, saying, after hearing that, I was in shock. I mean, instead of saying, what church do you go to? There's a great church in Walnut Creek. I was like, phew, thank God. Back off to the bananas. <laughs> a feeling can become a thought. A thought can become a belief. And a belief can become a behavior. This is how it unfolds. I get a feeling, and if I'm not careful, and it will happen, that feeling will become a thought. And I promise at that point, I wanna filter that thought with truth. But a feeling become a thought, and if I don't do it, then a thought can somehow sneakishly become a belief, and then that belief, if I stay on it long enough, it drops down into my heart, and I start to action out that belief. So a feeling of not feeling worthy enough because I made a mistake and so I'm now no longer, I am disqualified from lifting my hands in God's presence because of what I said and what I did however long ago it was. That feeling becomes a thought. You meditate on that thought and it becomes and it establishes itself as a belief and now you truly believe that you're not worthy. Or at least you won't be able to ever serve again in a leadership capacity. Or you won't be able to minister or pray over someone because we self-disqualify. And that belief then becomes actioned. We action it. It becomes a ritualistic behavior in our life. It's a pattern of this world that doesn't belong. What God promises to transform and renew in our lives. We are not supposed to get stuck in that. A feeling that isn't challenged by truth can become unhealthy behaviors that becomes the person you weren't created to be. All from a little feeling, a seed that catches, takes root in our mind, drops into our heart, becomes a belief, becomes an action. And the next thing you know, you're someone you're not supposed to be. You're doing things you weren't created to to do. You're stuck. And I love truth breaks every chain. It breaks every chain. Truth sets the captive free. Truth, he, he, he has come that we may have life and life in the full. I love that when truth comes in to someone's heart, you see the, the, Weights and the veil come off their eyes and they live free again in an area. Whether it be a restored relationship, whether it be I've learnt to live stingy but now I live generously because that's my true identity in Christ as early scripture showed before. And so we walk in that truth. If you want to sabotage your relationship with God, I I pray you don't, but if you do, then act on fear. Act on the fear that's in your heart. Act on the anger that comes from life when it happens in a circumstance, a fight with someone, and that anger that boils up in your blood, and you're so mad. Act on it. And that will sabotage your true identity in Christ. You'll become the person you weren't created to be. Act on pride. Here's one: act on worry. Worry is a sin. But I don't want to sabotage. I want to grow in my true relationship with Christ. Matthew 16, 25 says, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life up for my sake, you will save it. That takes faith. That really takes faith to ask the question. It's God. It, it, It takes faith to say this. God, I'm declaring that your will is not what I want to do for you. It's what you want to do through me. That takes a lot of faith. We can become quite manipulative and sneaky in telling God what we want to do for him. Yes. And dangerously, the fruit of that is we never see the kingdom fruit that we're supposed to produce. That's right. But if we say to God, I present myself as a living sacrifice No matter what the circumstances say, I'm yours. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how amazing and incredible the view from the mountaintop is, I'm still surrendered to you. I won't let pride take me out because I become self-sufficient in success. And I won't let insecurity and fear take me out because I can't see a way forward in the mist. I'm going to trust by faith, God, that you are in control and my next step is for you trusting in him and the good thing is this is that God shows up where he's wanted he just so does I thank God that some of the ungodly feelings in my life have been struck down by truth and overturned by faith they have been struck down by truth and then overturned by a faith that rises up and I carry on being who Christ has called me to be 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. When we uh, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments, a feeling that becomes a thought, where you might want to say a thought becomes a belief, I would call that an argument a thought that becomes an argument. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps us from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That is faith applied to become who Christ has called you to be. That is faith being outworked and applied in your life to be who Christ has called you to be. Let me tell you, truth brings clarity and correct context to feelings. Feelings are wild. They'll go anywhere if you let them. I mean, the places an emotion and a feeling can take you is crazy. The things that you can do as far as greed, as lust, as all these feelings can take you down in places. But thank God that truth brings clarity and correct context to our feelings so that we can make sense of them and make a path forward. Without truth, You could feel your way into deception. You could even have a feeling that's in your heart that you believe is true, and it's not. But because truth was absent, you have felt, and we can feel our way into deception, where we are living way below what God's promised. We're living down to circumstances instead of up to God's promises. And the reality is, is faith will break that chain where you trust in your true identity in Christ. Now, however, turning a corner. One of my frustrations in church life is this, is I believe sometimes we give feelings a bad rap. We, we, it's, it's almost as if feelings, truth. They're not equal. They're not on the same page. And... I don't know. I have a hard time with the bad rap that feelings get. There's always a caution around feeling, but there's never really a caution around truth. Here's why I take caution to that. It's because feelings, yes, can be untrue, but sometimes they're actually supposed to be explored. They're supposed to be dug deeper into. But when you think about truth, your understanding of truth is an interpretation of truth. And what I say when I mean that, you are walking with a partial truth in your understanding and your revelation of God. You do not have a complete revelation of God. You just don't. This part's missing. You're not fully sanctified. You're still becoming Christ-like. And so you can't take truth to the bank necessarily, your partial truth. You can take absolute truth, which lives in you, by the way, But at the same time, I believe feelings are supposed to be part of this process. Here's my question. Why bother creating feelings? Why did God give us feelings if we're supposed to ignore them and suppress them? That makes no logical sense. In fact, I would take it maybe a little bit further and to say that I believe that some of the attributes of God are felt to be better understood. By the way... Jesus is God and the attributes of God are bullseyes for us to know what our true identity in Christ is. If you want to know specifically who you're supposed to be, look at the attributes of God. Some of them you'll share partially in. You won't be omniscient, right? Or omnipresent, although I'm getting there. You won't be omnipresent, but you'll be somewhere. We share in some of these attributes, and I believe that some of these attributes are actually supposed to be felt. And our big statement, big call that I'm putting out here. I would actually consider myself a failure as a pastor if we only knew God in our hearts but never felt him, and knew God in our head but never felt God in our heart. If you had all this head knowledge but never felt God in your heart, I would consider myself a failure as a pastor that I've led our church into a dry desert where I want you to feel the presence of God. And yes, it's emotional. Yes, people cry. Yes, some might judge and say, well, it's all feelings now, but the truth and reality will hit them on Monday. No, maybe the truth and reality will bring context to the feelings that they did have. And so they walk now on a whole new depth and level with God. I pray that we would explore that. Now, I can say Pastor Tim is about to have a child whose wife is about to have a baby. <laughs> Pastor Tim's wife is actually about to have a child. <laughs> and I can tell him how, how amazing it is when you're in the delivery room and they hand you a baby. It's overwhelming. Dads, right? It's incredible. And you can, and I've heard this growing up in church, but... The reality is, is hearing it is not the same as feeling it, and being in that atmosphere, you know, and, and there's many shapes of form uh, of family and how that takes place. Maybe it's a pet. Maybe it's an adopted child. Maybe it's a, a someone who's been brought into your family. There's those feelings of being a father or being a mother are overwhelming, right? They they're, they're very. It's hard to explain that, but nothing compares to actually experiencing it yourself. Now, let me take this thought a little further, is I can explain to Annie what it's like to give birth because I've watched it. (laughs) Can I? (laughs) That's a hard no, isn't it? (laughs) That's a big, solid, hard no. (laughs) I can explain this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and it's like, ah, be quiet, please. You have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And no matter what, how the other person, uh, I, I can explain to someone what it's like to be in love and how you just make irrational decisions when you're in love. You can have it. someone explain it to you, but when you're in love, even if you miss the bus, you still skip, you whistle, <laughs> it doesn't matter, there's another one coming, I'm in love. <laughs> it's so awesome being in love, but you try to explain that to someone who's not in love and it's just a head knowledge. Not to to disqualify someone, but it is different when you feel and have that experience. It really is different. Being in the moment and and experiencing that, being in love. I would make irrational decisions, um, being in love, like a a super recent irrational decision, like taking your wife out on Valentine's Day when the very next day is half price. (laughs) Can I get an amen, women? no amen <laughs> moving right along <laughs> but I, uh, I thank God for rational logical thinking that actually can help us make sense of our feelings but I still believe feelings are supposed to be felt uh, my point is this there's a big difference between, between someone telling you about Yosemite And seeing a picture of Yosemite online and then driving down Tunnel Road and seeing the whole valley open up before your eyes, it is majestic. It's one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen that God created, by the way, that we can stand there and see creation reflect his glory. There's nothing like it, being there, experiencing it. It's one thing to read a book and it's another thing to see the movie. (laughs) I know I live in an educated area, so I know that wasn't going to go too well. <laughs> it's one thing to spectate and worship, and it's another thing to be completely surrendered. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's one thing to be insecurely stand there with a closed heart and completely miss feeling some of the attributes of God. I don't mean to speak to disqualify someone. That's not my heart and my spirit. My heart and my spirit here is to emphasize the point that we are supposed to feel the attributes of God in a way that knowledge could never communicate. Sometimes I even believe that when we are in an atmosphere, an awe and a presence of God, there are no words to describe what we felt. All you're left with is how you feel. And that feeling is what you remember that still motivates you to press on and go through the hard season because you know your God's faithful, you know your God's present and you know your God is for you because you have felt him. But what do you mean felt? As your friend asks, that hasn't given their heart to Christ. What do you mean feel? I don't know, I can't explain it. What do you mean you're in love? What do you mean that you go to church every week, not just Christmas and Easter? I don't know. I encountered Christ. I don't know all the theology in the world, but there's something in my heart that I felt that changed my life, that causes me to one day live one way where I was for myself, but now to live His way because I know whose I am. There's something about being in God's atmosphere, God's presence. We've been hearing about a revival in Ashbury. Anyone heard of this? Isn't it incredible that if God just decides to allow some of his presence into our atmosphere, people from all over the world will come running. Not for a sermon, but for an experience, which is a feeling. That we're supposed to embrace and enjoy. It's how we know God loves us. We know it in our head, but we're also supposed to feel it in our heart that God is with us. I love that faith is on the table. It's an option, it gives us access to. Faith gives us access to the promises of Scripture, faith gives us access access to miracles. Faith gives us access to salvation, and faith gives us access to our true identity in Christ. Faith gives you access to be who Christ has called you to be. And in that confidence, and my gosh, on that foundation, You can walk in truth. You walk in freedom. You walk with purpose. Man, purpose in this area, especially the Bay Area. Purpose is such an absentee thing in the heart that is being attempted to be filled with materialism, with drugs, with relationships. People are desperate to fill that spot. They know because eternity is put in their heart, because the law's been written on their heart and mind, they know there's something They feel it. They may not have the truth of what it is, but thank God that we as messengers get to reflect the image of God so they see God. That's why you are created, to reflect the image of God so that others can see it, recognize it, and then decide whether to surrender to it. And that's awesome. We sow the seeds. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth. Just do your bit. Sow the seeds. Have that faith to sow. I'm going to pray I'm going to continue to pray for our true identities in Christ. God we thank you right now in this atmosphere. We thank you that you're shaping us and molding us. We thank you. Church leadership is correcting us, and your Holy Spirit is convicting us to become more like Christ. God, I pray, Lord, for where people have become stuck or people are holding back, abstaining from or engaging in. Lord, I pray, Lord, that there would be a faith that would break through in Jesus' name and there would be a deeper level of intimacy and connection back to You. God, I pray that we would not get caught up in the trappings and the trimmings of this world, Lord, but we would be completely and utterly surrendered to You. Lord, I thank You, Lord, that You are on the move. Lord, I thank You, God, that You know the next move before we even play the next move. And God, I pray that You would begin right now to deposit seeds of faith in our heart, Lord, to expect our expectation to align, Lord, with Your perception of reality. We would see it how You see it. And we would have faith to rise up to how You see it. And God, I pray You would show us the future generations, the future people, God, That whose lives will be changed, the ministries that could be potentially birthed, Lord, out of the future home that you have for us. Lord, we thank God for this place as well. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, as the journey continues to unfold. Lord, I pray that we will continue to run at the pace of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic.